Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is. As he's revealed himself to us, my name is Tyler and welcome back to our um, to our trek in the book of Job. We have been going verse by verse through the book of Job for um, probably close to a month now. Um, it's still pretty fresh. And we have come to chapter 5. And we are working through the initial statements of Eliphaz, one of Job's friends, concerning the sufferings of Job. And so the question... <clears throat> see, the thing with... Job's friends that makes the book so challenging is a lot of what they have to say is not exactly bad. It's not bad theology. Now, there's a lot of what they say that is true. So it's not necessarily that we're looking at bad theology. We're just looking at theology that's largely misapplied. And today is um, a very good example of that as we continue working through the the um through the categories through which Eliphaz seems to see the world. Something very similar to what we see in Proverbs. It's very generalized, that this is generally how things work, that the righteous are rewarded and the wicked are punished. So if you're being, if you're suffering, if you're being punished, it's because you're not righteous. And that's kind of his assumption coming in here. But we're going to read chapter 5, and then we're going to break it apart piece by piece here. Starting in verse 1, call out. Will anyone answer you? Which of the holy ones will you turn to? For anger kills a fool, and jealousy slays the gullible. I have seen a fool taking root, but I immediately pronounced a curse on his home. His children are far from safety. They are crushed at the city gate with no one to rescue them. The hungry come, consume his harvest, even taking it out of the thorns. The thirsty pant for his children's wealth, for distress does not grow out of the soil and trouble does not sprout from the ground. But humans are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. However, if I were you, I would appeal to God, and would present my case to him. He does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain to the earth and sends water to the fields. He sets the lowly on high, and mourners are lifted to safety. He frustrates the, the schemes of the crafty, so that they achieve no success. He traps the wise in their craftiness, so that the plans of the deceptive are quickly brought to an end. They encounter darkness by day, 
and they grope at noon as if it were night. He saves the needy from their sharp swords and from the clutches of the powerful. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts his mouth. See how happy is the person whom God corrects. So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also bandages. He strikes, but his hands also heal. He will rescue you from six calamities, no harm will touch you in seven. In famine he will redeem you from death, and in battle he will redeem you in battle from the power of the sword. You will be safe from slander and not fear destruction when it comes. You will laugh at desecrate at I'm sorry, I'm you will laugh at destruction and hunger, and not fear the land's wild creatures. For you will have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure, and nothing will be missing when you inspect your home. You will also know that your offspring will be many, and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will approach the grave in full vigor, as a stack of sheaths is gathered in its season. We have investigated this, and it is true. Hear it and understand it for yourself. So, a lot of words. So, I'm going to go with some of the natural divisions in this section. So, let's start and take the first seven verses kind of as a block. <clears throat> so, all the way up to you, but humans are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. If you've got a Bible up in front of you, and we're just going to kind of power through this. So call out, will anyone answer you? Which of the holy ones will you turn to? We've seen in uh, the early chapters of Job that there is almost like there's a second layer to what's going on. It's not just Job versus the wilderness. It's not just Job versus the natural disasters or even his friends. But there is a there's an element of work between Satan and God. That we saw this, this dialogue between God and Satan concerning Job. Have you considered my servant Job? And God straight up told Satan he is in your power to do X, Y, Z. And so we see this, this, this play out. We know um, that there is a spiritual component here, that there is something unseen on some level influencing what is seen. Not in the way that it turns Job into a kind of a helpless puppet, but it's almost like there's a duality to what's going on, if that makes sense. And so, verse 1, which of the holy ones will you turn to? What, where do we go? Is this, is this angels? Is this the testimony of the saints? I think either one is valid. Of, do we turn to it? <clears throat> <coughs> will anyone answer you? Which of the holy ones will you turn to? I believe that the best way this makes sense is not that the that Eliphaz is imploring Job to turn to angels. While it's been understood that way, and you could make a case for that, I think what he's in the larger body of chapter five. We're talking about the testimony of previous saints. We're talking about the the righteous people of God. Because this, like, like I said before, this very fits in line with what we see in Proverbs. And so I think, um, just as Eliphaz was making his case in chapter 4, largely from experience, I think he's doing so here 
with the experience of godly people. Verse 2, For anger kills a fool, and jealousy slays the gullible. I have seen a fool taking root, but I immediately pronounce the curse on his home. He sees the fool almost shooting up like a weed, something that grows and develops, that he has to nip it in the butt before it takes root. Verse 4, His children are far from safety. They are crushed at the city gate with no one to rescue them. The hungry consume his harvest, even taking it out of the thorns. The thirsty pant for his children's wealth, for distress does not grow out of the soil. So right out the bat, Eliphaz is getting into for distress and suffering and pain. This just doesn't appear. This isn't like a, like a weed that just comes up. For distress does not grow out of the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the ground. But humans are born for trouble. As surely as sparks fly upward, humans are born for trouble. <clears throat> so, the testimony of the saints, says Eliphaz, is that humans are born for trouble. Trouble does not come from anything but us. That distress is our doing. Suffering is our doing. And like I said last week, it's like he's taking a shotgun and pointed it at Job's face. This is not exactly helpful. <clears throat> Given where Job is, this is not necessarily helpful information. There is an there is an element of truth to this, that you reap what you sow. We see this in Galatians. We see this in a lot of what we see in the Proverbs, is this idea of reaping and sowing. It says in Ecclesiastes, he who watches the clouds will not reap. So there's an element of action being rewarded. And so we have a lot of that. The Bible doesn't outright discredit that. That sometimes you do reap what you sow. But is that what's going on with Job? That's, that's the question we have to grapple with. Does Job's suffering equal sin? And Eliphaz says that it does. Verse 8, If I were you, I would appeal to God and would present my case to him. That his advice to Job is, you are suffering because humans are born for trouble. You have wrought this on yourself. So, appeal to God. He does great and unsearchable things, and wonders without number. He gives rain to the earth, and sends water to the fields. He sets the lowly on high, and mourners are lifted to safety. He frustrates the schemes of the crafty, so that they achieve not success. So again, we've got this very proverbial understanding that the wicked are crushed, the wicked do not succeed, the wicked do not prosper. He traps the wise in their craftiness. And the idea of craftiness goes back to the garden. It goes back to this to the serpent. The serpent was craftier than all the other animals. So right off the bat, he's putting this in that kind of context of the, the schemes of the crafty. The trap, he traps the wise in their craftiness so that their plans, so that the plans of the deceptive are quickly brought to an end. That the, the wicked are in some way like the serpent. And so he, he's almost, almost like he's portraying this idea that 
God is going to crush your head like the head of the serpent. Again, this isn't bad theology, it's just misapplied. This isn't... You, you can't take this over here and put it here. It, it doesn't fit here. What we're looking at here is a different set of circumstances. And so Eliphaz has made some assumptions. And I think there's... Um, <clears throat> there's some valid lessons we can learn from that because you and I are tempted to make assumptions, to presume upon God. We do this far more often than we would like to think. We presume on his patience. We presume on his mercy. We presume on his goodness. But these things were all designed to lead us to repentance, it says in Romans 2. And so Eliphaz has presumed upon Job, and he has presumed upon God. And so he's got the knowledge. He's got this understanding of the fact that God is just, and he has ordered the world in, in a way that reflects his justice. However, the application here, the, the specific application, is that Job is suffering, and not because of his own unrighteousness, because it says several times in the first couple chapters, Job was a righteous man. Have you considered my, my servant Job? No one on earth is like him. A blameless man, an upright man, who escheweth God. I mean, who... I, I messed that up again. I did it last week. Who feareth God and escheweth evil. Why can I not get that right? <clears throat> and so the, the assumption he's operating with is if you actually did these things, you'd be fine. But what you're experiencing solely is the product of what's actually in your heart, Job. You have reaped what you sowed because you did not fool God in playing the system. Which, if you remember, is the exact same accusation that Satan makes upon Job. Does he feareth God for naught? Does he fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge over everything he owns? But, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. That if we just take all the ble blessings, take all the luxuries, take all the goodness that you've showered upon him, Job will show his true colors. That's, that's the assumption of Satan. That is the accusation of the accuser. And again, Eliphaz has asserted himself as an accuser. But he also encourages him to appeal to God. Almost like he's trying to be a mediator here. But it's not a mediator that's helpful. Because it's not a mediator that is sympathetic to Job's cause. And again, this is a dynamic that plays out quite a bit in Job, is the need for a mediator that is in the same trenches as Job. And that's why, part of why Hebrews talks about um, Christ as our mediator who is able to be compassionate to us having been tempted in all the ways we have been tempted. But he sinneth not. He did not sin in any of those temptations, but he is able to sympathize with us as intercessor because he experienced humanity. And so Christ inserted himself into our mess and stood in our place and took on the wrath of God. And now that he is risen... 
he ever liveth as intercessor, that he is constantly in that mediator status with God. And he does so as a, as a mediator, not in theory, but in practice, a mediator with tangible human experience, that he has lived in human flesh, that he is he sympathizes with us, that he is <clears throat> he is of our kin in a very real sense, that he is one of us, but he's also not. He's still God, but he took on a human nature so that he could intercede for us in that way, in that real communal, familial way. This is not what Eliphaz does. Eliphaz is not a good mediator. And that's honestly probably one of the key points of Job, is that none of his friends are great mediators. But they're not great mediators. They, Eliphaz is not the ideal here. And so he has a lot of information to share with Job about how the crafty will be brought low. But he saves the needy from the sharp words of the crafty, of the wise, and from the clutches of the powerful. So then, the poor have hope, and injustice shuts his mouth. So now he gets to the hope. And I think if he had started here, it had been a whole nother conversation. If he had just stuck with the hope portion, I think this would have been much more beneficial to Job. But you just spent a chapter and a half cutting him down with a two-edged sword because you've weighed him in your personal scales and found him wanting. And never stop to consider that maybe you didn't have all the facts. Maybe you didn't know everything. But the poor have hope, and injustice shuts his mouth. See how happy is the person whom God corrects. So do not reject the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also bandages. He strikes, but his hands also heal. It says in Isaiah that I kill and I make it alive. I bring success and I bring calamity. I am the one who does all of these things. That just as God is harsh when he brings down judgment on the crafty, on the wicked, on the arrogant. He opposes the proud. But he is also the God who bandages the poor. He is the God who gives grace to the humble. And this is who Job needs now. Job is not concerned with the God who smites the wicked. That is likely not where he is, his mind is going right now. I think, if anything, Job needs to hear of the God who bandages, of the God who heals, the God who rescues. He will rescue you from six calamities. No harm will touch you in seven. In famine, he will redeem you from death, and in battle, from the power of the sword. You will be safe from slander and not fear destruction. And when it comes, you will laugh at destruction and hunger, and not fear the land's wild creatures, for you will have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the wild animals will be at peace with you. 
you will know that your tent is secure. And nothing will be missing when you inspect your home. You will also know that your offspring will be many, and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will approach the grave in full vigor, as a, shack, as a stack of sheaves is gathered in its season. And again, I direct us to Psalm 34, which has a similar sentiment. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cries for help. The face, the face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil, to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears. So despite the fact that we have this idea that the Lord rescues, the Lord protects, the righteous still cry out that these can coexist. And that's part of the hope when the righteous suffer that the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. I once heard a pastor say that the Lord made Jupiter. He made Saturn with all its rings. And he set it in a perfect orbit, a planet massively bigger than the one on which I reside. But God does not hear Saturn. Because Saturn does not pray. But when and the people pray to God, God hears. My favorite psalm in the entire book of Psalms is Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried to thee, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ear be attentive to the voice of my supplications. <clears throat> Out of the depths... The Hebrew there literally means garment, when we are wrapped up in the depths like a blanket. God hears us. <clears throat> so to go back to the, the phrasing by, with which Eliphaz started this, which holy one will you appeal to? The testimony of the saints is that the Lord is near the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues them, rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. That right there points us to Christ, who on the cross suffered the shame, experienced what for all intents and purposes is torture. The most graphic intense sense of torture developed by the Romans, possibly even now. It's probably every bit as sadistic as what you might read about today. I'm not sure we have topped crucifixion. I don't think the, the worst of humanity has produced something worse than what Christ endured on the cross. When he suffered the just wrath of God for sinners when he condemns sin in the flesh and for sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us 
who walk according to the Spirit. So not one of his bones was broken. The text is very clear that they did not break his bones, and this is in fulfillment of Psalm 34. And not one of his bones was broken. <laughs> and just as not one of his bones was broken... We too can have hope that the God who strikes is also the God who heals. The, the God who smites is the God who bandages. He did not break one of his, the bones of his beloved son, in whom he was well pleased. And through the cross, we have been adopted into his family. We are his. And while we may have sufferings, as Job did, <clears throat> we may suffer. We may not have all the answers. We may ask questions that normally we wouldn't dare raise to God. But that suffering does not necessarily equal sin. That suffering implies that we live on earth. Sometimes it's just how the cards fall. It's, that's just how it is. But the reality is that even when we suffer, God hears us. So you can appeal to God and present your case to him. For he does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He brings rain to the earth and sends water to the fields. <clears throat> that part Eliphaz got right. That seek the Lord. Ply to the God who is light, and in him there is no darkness. Last year, I had a very brief bout of intense depression. I was blindsided by... A depression that I have I've never known that intensity in a decade of knowing Christ and one verse that I really clung to during what I have referred to as the week on my knees was 1st John 1 5 this is the message we have heard God is light and in him there is no darkness and so in my personal darkness, all I knew to do, all I could do, was ply to the God who is light. To the God who has no darkness. And yet, just like it says in Exodus, he communes with me in my darkness. When Job cursed the day he was born, God did not leave. But God continued to commune with Job. God has still walked with Job. God has continued to give him strength to continue on. Just as he did with Elijah in 1 Kings. Verse 27, we have investigated this and it is true. Hear and understand it for yourself. Sometimes there are no easy answers. Sometimes 
there's not an explanation for why we endure what we do. Eliphaz may not have an explanation for Job as to why he's suffering. But he very well could have pointed him to God. Who does great and unsearchable things and wonders without number. The God who dwells on high and yet has been pleased to commune with you. Likewise, let us go to God, because he is near the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy are those who take refuge in him. Three things. Taste, see, take refuge in Christ. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.